I love a good mystery, and so does everyone else. In fact, everyone loves a good family mystery, especially one with as many twists and turns as June's Journey. I know that our listeners will absolutely love this game because you are uncovering the mystery of June's sister's murder, and you're becoming a detective. You're looking for clues, and each scene will lead you to a new thrilling storyline. This is a great way to engage your observation skills to uncover key pieces of information that lead you on to many chapters of mystery, danger, and romance. Right now, I'm in the process of interviewing family members, and this is bringing me back, just so you know, to my days in law enforcement, and I'm having such a blast with it because it is so much more lighthearted, but it also has the mystery of where will this take me? You can even chat and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. You'll even get the chance to play in a detective league to put your skills to the test. Megan, I think we should join a detective club together. We've got this. (laughs) Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. June needs your help, detective. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast may contain content that is graphic and disturbing in nature. Listener discretion is advised. A young woman's bizarre death leaves her family distraught when the results of the investigation seem doubtful. This is the Phoebe Hansjuk story. Megan, it's great to see you. How was your holidays? Holidays were a little rough this year. My mom is a little bit incapacitated with a broken ankle. So going back and forth to Long Island, you know, I mean, it was a little bit challenging. What can we say? But still all good. Still lots to be grateful for. Let's hope for a better 2023. I mean, I still got to see my mom and I got to spend time with James and Michelle, which is always great. But yeah, let's hope that she can. uh, She's a little more mobile in 2023 and healed. Yes, I hope so. And Amy, how were your holidays? My holidays were very good this year. Thank you. It's nice to be in the house and to be able to entertain and not have to burden other people. All right. So now that the holidays are are sort of behind us, what do you have for us today? So you know how much I love these kind of cases that are, you know, mysterious. They might be looked at as maybe an accident or a death by suicide but there might be more to the story. It's kind of reminiscent of Ellen Greenberg. It was like the Sherry Papini one as well. And Megan, the Ellen Greenberg case we know is back in the news because they're reopening the investigation because Ellen died under mysterious circumstances. And I think in that case, that's the right thing. And so I cannot wait to do an update on that case as things unfold. This case, there's still a lot of questions. Who knows if there was even a crime committed in today's story, but I still think it's very 
relevant for women in crime because it highlights a lot of issues with investigations and the way we treat women in our system. Okay. I've never heard of this one either, so I look forward to the details. And this case brings us to Australia, so we'll learn a little more about the Australian criminal justice system. So Phoebe Hansjuk was born on May 9th, 1986, to parents Len and Natalie in Melbourne, Australia. Phoebe had two younger brothers with whom she was very close with. Phoebe's family described her as an energetic, free spirit. She was very athletic. She loved physical challenges, and she was described as very strong. Now, she played many sports. She was also very creative. She was very into the arts, journaling, drawing, sculpting. She had lots of friends, and she was described as very outgoing. Like many teenagers, myself included, Phoebe did go through a bit of a rough patch where her grandmother says she was, quote, very hormonal and sensitive. Now, this could be just general teenage angst that we often see, and I'm not sure that this is abnormal. I'm not sure either. Now, at 15, Phoebe started hanging around with what could be described as the wrong crowd. She started drinking a lot and experimenting with many different drugs, such as speed, ecstasy, and marijuana. She was also in and out of relationships. She was known for always being romantically dependent. During her teenage years, she never had a time where she wasn't in a relationship. She also ran away from home at one point during her teenage years. And this was problematic because she didn't return home for almost two months. And it's not exactly clear where she was, but by some accounts, she was living with a, quote, friend who had a checkered past. So I'm unsure if this was like a drug binge, if she was fighting with her parents or if she was with a boyfriend. That's not really known. That's significant, though. That's different than acting out, running away from home for two months. That's that's something. I'm going to file that one away. I used to run away from home, but I would just like leave for a few hours just to make a point and then come back. Yeah, that's what I think is normal, like or, you know, quote unquote normal, Uh because I've definitely done that once or twice. But two months is quite significant. Yeah. The good news is when she returned home, things seemed to look a little more promising because she began taking antidepressants to curb her mood swings. She also began regularly seeing a therapist. Was there some type of official diagnosis? Some reports say depression and anxiety, but I also read many reports of bipolar disorder. Oh, okay. So she's trying to take steps in the right direction, it seems. Her parents did end up separating shortly after she began therapy. So this was probably hard for somebody who was already struggling with their emotional health, as we know that anytime you know parents separate, it could be tough on a child. Phoebe began looking for comfort, and she ended up dating her male teacher who was twice her age. Now, this is a little problematic. The age of consent is 16 to 17, varying by jurisdiction in Australia. So she may have been past the age of consent. But Megan, we know there's still some issues with the power dynamic with a student dating a teacher. Oh, of course. And even if it's the consent, yeah, I mean... You know, it's a teacher and she's still at a very young formative age here. And, you know, this makes me think of teachers, the podcast Teacher's Pet, of course. Well, there's big news in that story as well, right? Isn't that the Chris Dawson sentence? Yeah, Chris Dawson was convicted of the murder of his wife, Lynette. And Chris Dawson was a teacher. He was married to Lynette. They had children and he was apparently one of those teachers. And there was a culture of teachers at that time who were having romantic relationships with students, some who were of age of consent, some were were not, but his wife went missing and everyone seemed to accept his narrative for all those years that this very strong mother who adored her children would simply, you know, quote unquote, wander off and create a new life, even though there was never any proof. So it took 40 years. But finally, 
Chris Dawson was brought to justice for the murder of his wife. A really good podcast for those of you looking for a serialized type of podcast. Amazing. Yeah. I guess the sentencing right now is not looking. I don't know what the sentence was, but it's going to be quite significant. I'm pretty sure he was sentenced to 25 years. It was something very lengthy, as we discussed also in our last um, happy hour with our patrons from Australia. Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay, so this teacher did end up leaving the school so he and Phoebe could continue to date. I'm not sure if he was pushed out or if he voluntarily left, but he even moved in with her and her mother for some time. He moved in with her and her mother? That's a strange... Okay. And the relationship was described as very loving and very healthy relationship. Now, this seems maybe odd, but maybe to help us understand it better, her mother and her grandmother were both married to men who were significantly older than they were. So in the family, they just, that was just normal for them. And I don't see anything wrong with dating someone much older than you. But again, I think the issue lies in the fact that it was her teacher. There's also different times of your life. So, you know, I think if you look at people and someone's in their 30s and 40s, it's a little bit different than a teenager to someone in their late 20s. But okay, I'm totally reserving judgment until I... Let's hear more. And it seems like perhaps she was a little vulnerable given her emotional health and, you know, some of the issues she was struggling with. So I don't like that part of it either. But anyway, I did mention Mm -hmm. that they did have what seemed like a healthy relationship, but it did not last that long. This began a pattern for Phoebe in which she would only date men who were considerably older than her. So after this relationship, Phoebe spent most of her late teens and early 20s really hard into the party scene. Now, she was exploring her creativity. She was, like I mentioned, journaling a lot and painting. She also was very into fitness. She was, I'm not sure, I think I read somewhere that she was a black belt. If I'm mistaken, then I know that she was very into Taekwondo. She liked rock climbing. You know, she was very athletic. But again, spending a lot of time going out, partying and clubbing with friends, which again, isn't that odd for someone in her age group. When Phoebe was 23, she got a job as a receptionist at a very upscale salon that was just outside the city called the Lindley Godfrey Salon. Now, this was a unisex salon, and this would be where she met 39-year-old Anthony Hamble, who frequented the salon. He would get his hair done often. Now, he was very handsome and very charming. He was also a very successful, well-known events promoter in Melbourne. So it's not surprising that Phoebe fell for him, and it's not surprising that Ant, um, I'm sorry, Anthony goes by Ant, so I'm going to be calling him Ant throughout the episode. So it's not surprising that Ant fell for Phoebe either. I didn't mention this, but she's absolutely gorgeous. If you look up pictures, you'll see exactly what I mean. People liked her. She was, you know, magnetic. Not only did she have a magnetic personality, but men loved her. She was very attractive and she was described as like mysterious. So she would get a lot of attention from men. She also seems, quite frankly, very adventurous and fun. So the two became smitten with each other. Now, Ant came from a very renowned family in the area. His father was a Supreme Court justice and his stepmother was a county court judge. So the family had a lot of clout in the area. So not just Ant himself, but he came from a really prominent family. So some would say their relationship moved a little bit fast. You know, I think to each their own. But after only five months after their first date, she moved in with him to his luxury 12th floor high rise apartment in Melbourne. Beyond their 16 year age gap, many friends thought that these two were a bit of an odd pairing. You see, Phoebe was very simplistic and artistic. Aunt was what you would call a socialite who was very concerned with appearances. In fact, I read somewhere that he did not like that Phoebe worked as a receptionist because he said that was too lowbrow. So he was trying to get her a job as a marketing assistant with one of his friends. 
Amy, I don't know if you mentioned this in the beginning. What was the status with her father, Phoebe's father? Phoebe was close with her father. She just didn't live with him when the parents divorced. Okay. But that's a, yes, that's a good question. Okay. But yeah, no, they they had a good relationship. Okay. He was also very neat and tidy. Some would say anal and she not so much. So all of these things are just little differences, but we know sometimes opposites attract. But a little more concerning was the fact that Phoebe told many people that Aunt was extremely controlling and verbally abusive. And many friends reported that when Phoebe went out without him, he would call her dozens of times to check up on her. And on a few occasions, he would even throw her out of the apartment after an argument and she would have to go live with family or friends. And, you know, they've only been together for five months. This is not a good sign. Big red flags. Okay, so as I mentioned, Aunt was very well off. So Phoebe, like I said, she moved in with him. I did read that she was considered a tenant on the lease. There's a little bit of conflicting reports whether or not she did pay him any rent, but it doesn't seem like he needed her to, so I'm not really sure. But she would leave him, other than the fact that he kicked her out, she would also leave on her own accord. And she would just say, you know, she's done. She would leave. And then he would apologize, convince her to come back and to stay. This is not unlike other unhealthy relationships that we know about. Yeah. Yep. And I'm not sure if maybe his finances were a way to keep her under his control. I don't, I don't know. Because it doesn't seem like she had a very high paying job, but she also didn't seem to live a lavish lifestyle. In fact, Megan, in the months leading up to the event that we are discussing, Phoebe had left three times and she had told some close friends that she was done for good. She was ready to start new. In fact, she was planning a trip to India for volunteer work. She really wanted to just scratch her life and just start. She really wanted to just reinvent herself. Okay. But at the same time, she was planning a trip to Paris with Aunt in the coming weeks. Maybe she was going to wait till after this big trip. I'm not sure. Maybe she was conflicted and just didn't know, you know, making plans for both. So December 2nd, 2010. Now, this is about a month prior to this planned trip to Paris for Aunt and Phoebe. So she was living. This was at a point where Phoebe was back living with Aunt. Aunt had left for work while Phoebe slept. Apparently, she had gone out and partied very hard the night before. So she was kind of sleeping off a bender. Okay. Now, the day seemed normal for Phoebe. We don't have much evidence of what she did that day, but we know that she sent some emails after she woke up and hung around the apartment. Now, something we know for sure is at 11.44 a.m., the building's fire alarm went off, so Phoebe was seen on CCTV walking her dog outside before she returned back to the 12th floor residence. I'm not sure really what happens between noon and when Aunt returns home from work. We have no information. So you're saying that she didn't make any phone calls, no emails, no text messages, no purchases, nothing between that time that was documented. Either nothing or nothing that the public's aware of. Okay. I would say it's probably the former because I don't see why this information would be withheld. But according to Aunt, he arrived home shortly after 6 p.m. and Phoebe just wasn't there. This was surprising because Phoebe and Aunt were going out for her father's birthday dinner and they were going to one of Phoebe's favorite restaurants nearby and Phoebe and her father were very close and she was looking forward to this. More concerning, however, was that her purse, her wallet and her keys sat on the kitchen counter. What about her phone? Um, her phone was also found in the home. Huh. Her hair straightener was also plugged in, which makes sense. Like it seemed as if she was getting ready for this dinner that I was telling you about. Now, so far, everything seems in line with someone who maybe just ran out real quick. But again, without your wallet, your phone or your keys, you're not going to get very far because the whole building is it's on a key fob. You can't really go anywhere without your keys. 
at this point, is there any indication of something, uh, I don't know, something nefarious or sinister or, you know, is there anything going on yet? Well, most people would think so, but Ant was not concerned. But you tell me if you'd be concerned. Ant found shards of broken wine glass on the kitchen floor, along with another wine glass that I believe still had a little alcohol in it. And there was also some blood smeared across the keyboard and the computer. Now, we're not talking about a large amount of blood. It could be like from a a cut of some sort. So maybe looking at the scene, she broke a glass and then used and then she went to a computer to do something. But again, I'll tell you why. But we don't have any information about her computer usage during this time. So maybe she was Googling like how to fix a wound. We don't know. Mm. But Ant did call Phoebe's father to let him know that he couldn't locate her. Now, there are some conflicting reports that say that Phoebe's father actually called her phone and Aunt picked up or Aunt called him back. Regardless, the two did talk and Aunt did not seem concerned at all. I'm not sure if this is because sometimes Phoebe just ups and leaves and he just wasn't sure. But her family and friends were getting concerned. They began calling each other, trying to figure out where she could be, trying to call some other friends and see what's going on. The thing that worried people the most is that Phoebe never missed out on family obligations. And the fact that it was her father's birthday dinner, I think, is what worried them. Mm -hmm. Now, while Aunt waited for Phoebe to show up, he spent some time online. He went outside for a cigarette and then he ordered dinner. Now, a lot of people have a problem with this part because he ordered dinner from the restaurant that they were supposed to go to that evening. But he only ordered dinner for one. So Phoebe's favorite restaurant, they were supposed to go. He can't find her. So sometime between six and seven, he just decides he's going to order dinner, almost as if he knew she wasn't coming back. I think that can be interpreted both ways. Like he might have known she wasn't coming back or look, he he might have been annoyed like she left. Well, forget her. I'm going to get dinner anyway for myself. Yeah. So we can't judge this behavior because... We don't know. Maybe Phoebe was unreliable. Maybe she did this often. Maybe this was just, you know, not out of character. But it's still important because Internet sleuths, web sleuths have a big issue with this. So I think it's important to mention. I don't have a huge judgment on it, but it's important to just put it out there. Not in itself. I don't have a judgment, but there could be the totality of the circumstances. So that's why it's important as well. So meanwhile, around 7 p.m., the concierge in the apartment building had gone down to the trash compactor room in the building's basement. The manager had asked this concierge if she could please go down there to, I'm not sure if she was retrieving something or putting something there, but this wasn't abnormal because this concierge also often just did favors for her boss, right? That makes sense. Yeah. When she got downstairs to the trash compactor room, she tried to open the door, but something large and heavy seemed to be blocking the door. So she had to really shove her way in, like kind of with her shoulder, like push the door. The concierge was able to get in the room, but she was shocked to see a young woman in a pool of blood lying on the floor unresponsive. Oh, my gosh. She called her boss in distress. She could barely talk. And then she dialed 000, which is Australia's 911. Okay. Just after 7 p.m., the police arrived at the scene, followed by several ambulances. Now, the police had sealed the scene off and they denied entry for paramedics. Now, a paramedic showed up on the scene and tried to get into the room because as they're taught, their first priority is preserving human life. But this paramedic was told that she was not allowed to go into the room as it was a crime scene. The paramedics were not able to do a proper medical examination. 
Do they know at this point for sure that Phoebe is dead? Because I don't understand why they would ever deny a paramedic access. There is absolutely no record of anyone ever checking for vital signs or even touching her body to feel for temperature. That is very strange. I think this is an area worth more conversation during our discussion. While this is all going on, where's Ant? Does he know what's happening? So Ant was upstairs waiting for his food, and he had absolutely no idea what was unfolding below. Again, he's on the 12th floor. This is happening in the basement. However, a few minutes after 8 p.m. when his food arrived, the delivery man mentioned to him the mayhem going on downstairs. Like in passing, like, hey, you know, what's going on in your apartment? So... At this point, Ant became worried that it perhaps might be Phoebe, the woman that was found unresponsive. So he went down to the lobby to tell the officers that his girlfriend had been missing all evening and he's wondering if it's possibly her that they found. So police showed Ant a photo of a tattoo on the unresponsive woman's body and Ant was able to confirm that Phoebe was, in fact, the woman on the floor in the trash compactor room. At one point, he also was asked to get a picture from the apartment to retrieve a picture and show it to officers. And they, in fact, said, yes, that's that's the woman that's lying on the floor. I'm so confused. I mean, at this point, like, it, was she alive or, or is she deceased? So police told Aunt that Phoebe was, in fact, deceased. Now, there's no, you know, no coroner on the scene yet, but <sighs> someone at some point. I mean, did anyone even tell? You're saying no one even checked her vitals? This is absurd. I've never heard of anything like this. This is crazy. Yeah, it's definitely a part of the story I think that is the most concerning. Again, whether or not she, how she ended up there, I don't think is relevant Mm -hmm. to this point. The fact that paramedics were not allowed in, what if she could have been revived? It's possible. But let's talk about what authorities conclude here. So they think that sometime between 12.03 p.m. and 7 p.m., Phoebe fell down the garbage chute. So the reason they're saying 7 p.m. is based on what time the body was found, not based on any other evidence. Okay. So it is. So Aunt got home at seven and Aunt says that she was not there. That doesn't mean that she wasn't there. It's possible that she didn't go down the garbage chute until you see what I'm saying. There's no hard evidence. I see what you're saying. I also want to know. I'm sure you're going to talk about this, but I want to know how they decided that she went down the chute as opposed to maybe going down to, I used to live in an apartment building. and Sometimes I'd have to actually go down to the compactor room if you had larger items to bring or something of that nature. So you're going to, I assume, describe how they knew she went down the chute. Yeah. So they say that she had multiple bruises and abrasions on her limbs and on her torso, that she had fractured her leg so badly that there was a virtual amputation of the right foot above her ankle. You know, so they concluded that she went down the garbage chute and her foot got stuck in the compactor part that smashes up the garbage. Now, the chute was very narrow. Anyone who's lived in an apartment building can attest to this. We're talking about this particular chute measured 14.5 inches by 8.6 inches, which is really like about 22 to 24 inches in diameter. That is so small. How tiny was she? She was she was petite and will get to the exact size um, that she was. But even someone who's really small, that seems like a bit of a stretch. Based on the injuries, it was determined that she went feet first, obviously, down the chute. Okay. Now, based on the blood trail found in the compactor room, it was concluded that she had actually survived the 12-story fall, but she bled to death because she tried to crawl out of the room. So not only was she severely injured, it was also pitch black And as we'll find out, she was also under the influence, which could have impaired her judgment as well. Oh, okay. So 
From early on, I'd say immediately, it was assumed that the cause of death was suicide with no foul play even suggested. So they did consider it a crime scene. Other than making it a crime scene, none of the processing would lead you to believe that they considered this even potentially a crime scene. They did not pull CCTV from the building till about five days later. They did not process the apartment, Phoebe's apartment. They just, you know, they found that Phoebe went down the garbage chute on her own accord. I don't, first, like, what led them to this conclusion? And do we know of any other cases where someone has died by suicide via garbage chute? I'm going to address your first question. So the coroners found the presence of a hypnotic sleeping drug sold under the brand name of Stillnox. You know, this is something similar to Ambien. Yes. And her blood alcohol level was three times the legal limit. Mm. So the coroner says that the usage of the drug could have adverse reactions and it could cause hallucinations and, you know, sleepwalking, sleep driving. But it's considered very rare to experience these effects. However, when mixed with high levels of alcohol, it could, it's unclear how intense the reaction could be. Now, Megan, we know, you know stories of Ambien having extreme reactions in people, right? I know plenty of cases when Ambien is mixed with alcohol, there is, I think I would call it a synergistic effect that you might almost say like psychotic behavior. People do things. I know of several cases where there was a murder involved where people had an Ambien and and, and had mixed it with something and maybe not even that high of doses, but later on could not recollect one bit of what happened there, I was trying to think like what one of the first big cases was that representative, Patrick Kennedy in Rhode Island. And I don't know if it was 2004, 2006, but he was one of the first he drove his car and, you know, crashed. And, you know, he was one of the first cases that drew national attention to the results of Ambien. And I know there's mm-hmm. been also a bunch of celebrities. Remember the controversy with Roseanne Barr where she <laughs> yeah, was she tweeted tweeting. and she said it's because yeah, she was on Ambien, I mean, you know tweeted a bunch of racist texts, but then tried to blame it on Ambien or, you know, said that she was in an mm-hmm. Ambien state. I, I mean, I do know of a whole list of cases where people have mixed Ambien with something else and the result has been disastrous. Mm-hmm. So ruling her death a suicide, it was theorized that the combination of the drugs and alcohol affected Phoebe's mood, her judgment and her perception. And that led her to enter the shoot by her own accord. However, on the other hand, It's also likely that the drugs and alcohol would have affected her physically to the point that she maybe wouldn't be able to enter the shoot without assistance. So importantly, she went down feet first. That was concluded. Now, in order for her to have gone down feet first, she would have to hoist herself up onto the chute. Mm -hmm. Now, this seems unlikely, and some would go as far to say that this is impossible. We're going to spend a lot of time looking into the possibility of that scenario. But first, Megan, Phoebe's loved ones were very confused because they all admitted that she struggled with substances and mental health, but they said there was no way that she would have climbed into the garbage chute. And the most suspicious family member was Phoebe's grandfather, a retired detective sergeant named Lauren Campbell. Now, he conducted his own investigation with the help of some of his detective buddies because he said from the moment he heard the news, he knew something was off. So a few aspects just didn't add up. For one, when Phoebe was found, her jeans were pulled down to just below her knees. Now, it's unlikely that these were forcefully pulled down by the fall for a few reasons. First of all, if you go feet first, you would expect her pants to go up, not down, right? Her belt was also undamaged, 
it was threaded into two loops of the jeans. So this brings up a few issues, other than the fact that it doesn't make sense with gravity. If her jeans were unfastened before she got into the chute, it would restrict her leg movement and she wouldn't have even been able to climb into the chute. So it makes you think that that must have happened after the fall, perhaps. Is it possible that the jeans were dragged down by her? You said she was crawling on the floor. So if she was crawling, is it possible that the floor tension pulled her jeans? Yeah, of course. Anything is possible. Okay. It's just not adding up to people. It's strange. Exactly. Also, the death by suicide theory also nagged at the family because Phoebe had so many plans for the future and a lot of happy events that she was looking forward to. Again, she was planning on going to India. She had this trip scheduled to Paris. Her and her grandmother were extremely close and her grandmother was going to be visiting soon. Her brother's 18th birthday party, which she had planned, was scheduled for just two days later. So that's not concrete evidence, but circumstantial, right? It leaves questions. Well, I wasn't even thinking suicide, to be perfectly honest. I'm thinking there's uh, the two options for me right now would be foul play or because of the combination of Ambien and alcohol, like something just, you know, um, it, and not that she was trying to take mm-hmm. her life, but I, I'm just thinking about those cases in which people, the combination makes them all sleepwalk and unaware of what they're doing. It's a form of somnambulism, which is which is a form of sleepwalking and being unaware of what you're doing. Now, as a retired detective, Phoebe's grandfather was going, you know, this was his granddaughter and he wanted answers. So much so that he contacted the manufacturer of the garbage chute. He got the same model of the garbage chute from the manufacturer. He also got a similar size person to Phoebe to reenact the fall. Now, this was taped and shown on Australia 60 Minutes. Megan, I sent you this video, but just for our listeners, you can check it out. It will be on our YouTube channel. But it does show that she was visibly struggling to get into the garbage chute. There's no rail or anything to hold for support. And the only way that she could fit was if she put her hands straight above her shoulders. Okay. But it was concluded that Phoebe's, I don't know how they concluded this, but it was concluded that Phoebe went down with her hands at her side. So even though this woman was able to get down the garbage chute in the video, the reporter had to help out to prevent the hatch from shutting on her as she slid down the chute. Now, anyone who has a garbage chute or have seen a garbage chute, you know what? You need one hand to constantly hold it. So in other words, you need to be able to hoist yourself up with one hand and somehow keep it open as you're going in there. What did you think about that video and the reenactment? Well, first of all, it's very challenging. I mean, there's there's no doubt about it. Uh, It would have to take someone with, you know, real physical strength and endurance, which we know she had based on what you described me. She was a very strong athlete. I think there's so many possibilities. Possibility that, you know, in in that garbage room, I don't know what we've heard, but there could have been trash, a bin, uh, a box, anything to kind of stand on, possibly. We don't know about that. We don't know if... You mean to get down the chute? To Just to step up even into it, just to step on. Yeah, they, some- so somehow it was concluded that there was nothing that she okay. could have used to step okay. on, but you don't know. Maybe she put it down with her. Who knows? I also know that in my old building, the um, trash compactor used to get jammed sometimes. And so it would, you know how what you're describing is like, you know, the gravity throws it back. But sometimes mine would get stuck open. That's a possibility as well. It sounds really unlikely. But you know what? I will also tell you, it sounds really hard for me to believe as well that one other person could put her in that position down a trash chute because that sounds almost equally as challenging. Yeah, it's almost as if 
you would need two people, one person to hold the chute open, right? It's an awkward thing to be able to put someone in there to hold someone. You know, I, I would think yeah. that would just be almost as challenging as someone getting themselves in there without, yes, there being two people. Those two possibilities are almost equally unlikely, it seems, yeah. or equally difficult to understand. So some people find it curious that the investigators didn't find any traces of blood or any viable fingerprints on the shoot's handle. So now are we thinking that Phoebe put herself down there and then cleaned off the fingerprints? Or, you know, it, it just adds another layer of confusion. No. But did they find other fingerprints on there? I mean, that's a trash compactor that everyone uses. Like, did they find, for example, ants fingerprints on there? I no, wonder. They didn't really, again, they didn't really look for, they weren't really um, processing oh, that's right. this. They I didn't mean, process they it. didn't even take the computers from the apartment. They didn't test the two drinking glasses that were in the kitchen. They did not. There were also these mysterious large shoe prints leading away from the apartment that they did not bother looking into either. Are they thinking there's a possibility that she had someone else in there with her before Aunt came home? So Lorne believes that a third party was involved in his granddaughter's death. He thinks that it might be related to drugs, perhaps. Maybe she knew too much or maybe she offended the wrong people. She was a known drug user, so some people theorize that Maybe, you know, she had some drugs delivered, but you would think this would, well, remember, they didn't get CCTV until five days later. So a lot of the tapes were already written over, but you would think by a witness accounts, I'm assuming there was a doorman, right? We knew there was a concierge. So I'm assuming people just couldn't get up. And if we have footage of her leaving for that fire alarm incident, mm -hmm. the day of her death, why would we mm. not have footage of a mysterious person going up to the apartment on that same day? Wouldn't make sense to me. So I have to ask the obvious here, but is Ant a suspect? So Ant has never formally been named as a suspect, but of course, internet sleuths and, you know, other people think that he might know more than he is saying. You never want to falsely implicate people. Was Ant, I know I asked if he was a suspect, uh, d does he have an alibi? That's a good question. So Ant does have an alibi that he was at work. People confirm that he was, in fact, at work. Um, he did work kind of close to the apartment, and he did leave for a lunch break in which there's no confirmation exactly of where he went as far as I know. But they also have key fobs in the apartment, and they have CCTV. And from what I know, from what the public knows, there's no indication that Ant went home during the day either. So I think there's no reason to suspect this individual, but there's some people that, you know, the way he acted— during and after, people question, but I hate judging people's oh, we affect. Yeah. yeah. So we do we're not usually. here to speculate about that. In 2013, this is three years after Phoebe's death, a full inquest was held after her mother raised $50,000 to cover the proceedings. Her family never mm -hmm. stopped asking for answers. They did not feel that the investigation was handled properly. They do not believe that their daughter died by suicide. However, on December 10th, 2014, the inquest concluded that her death was, in fact, accidental. So I'm not sure if they did this to appease the family, but they changed it from death by suicide to an accidental death, and the investigation was closed. The coroner concluded at this point that Phoebe had climbed unassisted into the rubbish chute while in a sleepwalking state and fell down feet first due to the consumption of alcohol and still knocks. He says that her penchant for climbing likely caused her to enter the chute without having any intention to necessarily cause harm to herself. 
Now, I don't know where he gets this penchant for climbing. I did mention that she was into rock climbing and she was athletic, but I think it's a little bit of a stretch to say she had a penchant for climbing. But at this point, the coroner did rule out suicide and he also ruled out the involvement of any third party and complied with the request from Ant's lawyer to exonerate Ant. So Ant was facing some scrutiny and he was sick of it and he just wanted a formal exoneration and the coroner said he you know, ruled out the possibility of anybody else being involved. Well, how could they rule anyone in if they didn't collect any damn evidence? I mean, exactly. I'm just saying that might yeah. be the appropriate call, but with zero kind of evidence collected, I mean, it seems like there's just so much that could have been done here. I agree. And, you know, Phoebe's family were still not happy because they still believe they did not think it was suicide or an accident. They think that there was something nefarious going on. So they actually hoped to take their case to the Supreme Court. But unfortunately, they ran out of money. And they also received legal advice that any appeal of the coroner's finding was unlikely to succeed. Yeah. Now, this is because Victorian law only allows such appeals on errors of law. Okay. Um, that's like our system, right? Like you can't, for example, in our system, you can't appeal on the grounds of innocence. You have to appeal on the grounds of an error. There was ineffective counsel. There was a violation of a constitutional right. So I think what they're being told here is that there's no evidence of any wrongdoing or errors of law. So there's really no point in moving forward. Although a coroner can choose to change their mind yep. at any point. They can choose to... You know, if presented with evidence, they can choose to switch the ruling. It just doesn't sound like the coroner in this case would be willing to do so. Although, I mean, I'm somewhat glad they removed the idea of suicide because I don't believe there's real mm -hmm. evidence of that. Yeah. Phoebe's grandmother has been very vocal and has publicly stated that she's very disappointed in the investigation and said, quote, natural justice is now the only thing we're going to get out of this. Karma will come to whoever has been involved. We just have to be patient. Police had never regarded Aunt Hample as a suspect, and we are not suggesting that here either. I just want to make that clear. But this next fact is relevant to the case in some way. Aunt does have some bad luck because four years after Phoebe's death, an ex-girlfriend of his, Bailey Schneider, was found dead just a few hours after she ended the relationship with Aunt. This woman was 25 years old. Aunt was 51 at the time, so he clearly has a pattern of dating younger women. Now, she was discovered by her parents inside their home on the floor of their kitchen with a cord tied around her neck. The death was ruled a suicide caused by self-induced asphyxiation. Wait, I'm sorry. So they're saying she took a cord around her own neck and like strangled herself? Yes. But not because like a hanging situation. I'm sorry, not a hanging situation. A situation where she was like on the ground and strangled herself. Yes. So there was absolutely nothing in the kitchen that she could have hung from. So, yes, the only possible explanation would have been self-induced manual asphyxiation. And you and I both know that that is questionable. And her parents, of course, question that. I'm not sure. I, I got to tell you, I don't like that at all. And we've heard cases where, you know, some people just have really bad luck and more than one person in their life dies by mysterious circumstances. I've heard of wrongful convictions in which this happens. Which case does this remind you of? where somebody's wife had died under mysterious circumstances and it turns out they had other wives who died under similar mysterious circumstances. Oh, you mean Michael Peterson? Yep. He had the the, the woman the that whose kids he, I think, wound up adopting. He was good friends with. She wound up at the bottom of a staircase and then his wife wound up at the bottom of a staircase yes. as well. 
But and, some people would say he's not exactly exonerated because he took an Alford plea. Just putting d- devil's advocate Exactly. There. But there is a lot of doubt about his guilt. Yes, absolutely. Right? Like the owl theory, which I think oh, yeah. holds, holds some weight. Uh, I do, too. We need a whole other episode on that one. Yes. So Ant is now happily married um, and is still running a very successful event company in Melbourne, Australia. So that really concludes the case, but we need to talk about a lot. I have a few questions. Me too. Yeah. So there are some people that still believe she died by suicide. I also do not believe that's the case. I'm not sure why she would choose this method. And in fact, I could not find any cases of death by suicide that were done in this manner. That doesn't mean it's not possible, but again, it just doesn't seem likely I don't think that's an option for me. I told you, I, I don't think this was a, a case of death by suicide. Yeah. So, you know, is it possible a third party was involved? I think her pants being unfastened is strange. But as you pointed out, that could have happened after she fell. If she was in like an inebriated state, she was probably in shock from blood loss. Maybe she had to go to the bathroom. She pulled her pants down. Who knows? There's a lot of different explanations of how that could have happened. She could have been trying to check her wound. However, people have said if she was going to check her wound, why pull your pants down over the wound instead of pulling the bottom of your pants up? I think it's probably because she was so disoriented, so shocked, so injured. I don't think there's any way to rationalize the behavior at that point. Yeah. And it goes both ways with the effects of the medication and the alcohol, because some say with that level of intoxication, how would she have the balance to be able to even enter the chute? But then on the other hand, as you pointed out with other cases, you know, sometimes people have, it makes them almost, um, it's like that. It's almost like the superhuman strength where they have just like, it's almost like supernatural strength to be honest, like strength that, that you don't actually predict that someone would have, but because of the effects of Mm -hmm. the mixing of the two, it happens. So I, I know that we don't have documented cases of, or you didn't see any of, you know, suicide by the trash chute, but. Are there other deaths that are documented by trash chutes? So they're very rare, as you would guess. I did find a few. So in July of 2018, a maintenance worker found a 48-year-old woman dead at the bottom of a trash chute in her apartment building in New York City. Now, her death was ruled accidental, but her father maintains that she was murdered. Now, it's an interesting case. I didn't dig into it too much, but it seems like they're not really investigating it. Um, in November of 2021, a 19-year-old student was found dead after falling 11 stories down a trash chute in her campus building at Penn State University. Again, Whoa. her death was ruled accidental, but her family is not convinced that it was an accident. Well, I can understand why the families aren't convinced. There's also a few cases of people who have survived after falling into trash chutes. So in wow. 2017, NPR reported that a man had been rescued after getting stranded in a trash chute while trying to retrieve his phone. In D.C., and in June of 2022, a woman fell down a four-story trash chute and was rescued with no injuries. And I have no idea how or why she ended up there, but that was reported. But a fourth-story trash chute makes sense that you would survive. Yeah, I don't think we could As really— As opposed to you know, an 11 or 12-story. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. So, Megan, we have some you know theories to discuss. Did the system get it right? I also want to spend some time talking about— investigations and what investigators look for when determining whether they're looking at a suicide, an accident or a murder. So what do you what do you have, Megan? Well, here's my conclusion. I don't know what happened to Phoebe. I couldn't tell you if this was an accident 
because of the mixing of you know her substances or if there's foul play. I think both of those scenarios are equally plausible. I don't believe it was suicide. I already said that. Here's what, what the problem is, though. The problem is because there was absolutely no investigation that the system did not get it right and that we can't make a determination. I would love to have much more. There would be so much more information that could help us to determine this. Any number of surveillance, you know, cameras, any fingerprinting, any interviews with neighbors. And there there's so many things that the police could have done. Instead, they just shut the book on it and called it a suicide. And that's the problem. Now we can't know. All that evidence is lost. It's gone. You, you know, you can go back and get some evidence, but nothing like when it's fresh at the scene. So what I think is there's two scenarios that are possible. I can't know which one because the police didn't do their job in this case. Yep. I 100% agree and couldn't have said that better myself. The thing that I have a problem with, in addition to what you pointed out, is just because Phoebe had struggles with mental health and she was a known substance user, that they're so quick to say that she somehow is responsible for this. Because even if it's accidental, it's still placing the blame on Phoebe. Because of her intoxication, the accident occurred. And so there's a failure to investigate because of assumptions. And this is just exactly. not the way policing is supposed to work. And, and, exactly. and this is a shame. And, I, you know, I, this was solvable. Like so many cases, this is solvable. And it, and it should have been. And I think it's going to be really hard to now because of lost evidence. But I still think the family deserves some type of, ju- I mean, yeah, there's no justice here. Yeah, there's no justice for the family here. And a life was lost and a family is left without answers. And that's just should never be. Well, the case is still ongoing. I know that it doesn't look hopeful, but it's not over yet, correct? I don't know. I guess, I guess you're right. They could always open another inquest. But from what it seems like, it seems like it's over. But I will tell you, her family has not given up hope. They're very mm-hmm. vocal. And Good. there's a podcast called Phoebe's Fall, which is a deep dive into this case. And the family, a lot of the family members speak. There's a lot more on this case. Obviously, we only have so much time. So I didn't go into a lot of the details, but there's a lot, a lot more information that can help better paint a picture. So if you're interested, I would definitely check out that podcast. Great. I mean, and this is the reason we do some of these podcasts. Also, we keep bringing attention, keep spreading the word. The more podcasts that cover it, a documentary, the more attention it gets you know, the more opportunity there might be to do something still. So thank you, Amy. This was so super interesting. And I really appreciated you bringing this case to me today. Thanks, And thank you so much to all of our listeners who have suggested this case over the years. So it's been on my list for quite a while. So I hope that our listeners are happy with the way it was covered. And we'd love to hear your, you know, theories on the case. And if there's something else that we didn't get or something you think we got wrong, let us know. We love hearing it. All right. Thank you all so much for listening today. And we will catch you next time on Women in Crime. Women in Crime is hosted by Megan Sachs and Amy Schlossberg. Our producer and editor is James Varga. Music composition is by Dessert Media. If you enjoy the show, please remember to subscribe and leave a review. You can also support the show through Patreon, where you can get access to additional ad-free content, such as virtual happy hours and an extra full-length episode each month. For more information, visit patreon.com slash women in crime. Sources for today's episode include PhoebeHandsJuck.com, Phoebe's Fall Podcast, 
The Darkness by Robin Bowles, The Sydney Morning Herald, The Daily Mail, Marie Claire Australia, and NPR. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.